0: scripture this morning is the words given to King Solomon that we find recorded in Ecclesiastes 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does it Gain man from all his labor at which he toils under the sun. Generations come and generations go. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, Yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, Look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. And then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too, it's chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. The word of the Lord.
1: before my eyes a curiosity Dust in the wind All they are is dust in the wind Same old song Just a drop of water
2: from the 70s, dust in the wind? Really? Too often we hear that said in a variety of different purposes and different ways. You know, I'm almost convinced that whoever wrote that song had probably just read through the scripture that we're going to be studying this morning, because there certainly is some similarities there. Now raise your hand if you've ever studied through the book of Ecclesiastes. Five or six, seven, eight. So raise your hand if you've studied the first chapter of Ecclesiastes as a sermon. A few of you. Uh, this is my first time, so I'm looking forward to what I'm going to be saying today. <laughs> but before I begin teaching, um, considering last week on TV and this coming week on TV, let me say that uh, if I say something that you really think is good, you're welcome to stand up and uh, clap or say, preach it art, something like that. You're welcome to do that. We're all kind of used to doing that. I was at family camp this week and uh, just a wonderful time there. About 125 or more people were there, are there and they're uh, worshiping as we are worshiping together. So in in the bulletin this morning, we have a sermon outline. Uh, I encourage you to go to that section. There's three parts to what I'm going to be talking about this morning. I, I think we start this book, Ecclesiastes, with just an introduction to Solomon, because it's clear that we believe that Solomon wrote this book. So let's, let's see who Solomon was. Let's introduce Solomon. Let's everybody get on the same page together and look at Solomon together. But then secondly, let's look at this book, especially the first chapter. Let's look at it and see if we can understand what Solomon is saying here. Because there's a difference between the Solomon that we're introduced to and this Solomon that we listen to as he teaches to us. And then the question that I had throughout my uh, weeks of study is, what happened to Solomon? This and this. What happened? What caused this all to take place? All right, so let's start by studying the, the book, but also studying the, Solomon. So he, we know that he was king. He followed David. We know that his mother was Bathsheba. We also know something really special that happened to him. The Lord came to him twice. The first one is 1 Kings, the third chapter, uh, the fifth through the fifteenth the verse. I'm going to read through this. I want everybody on the same page together, but there's some things in here that I think are important to note in relationship to what we're talking about today. Starting verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father, David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. Note that, that Solomon is making it clear how his father was, and and that his father was faithful, righteous, and upright. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, our God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a small child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased with Solomon, what he had said, what he would asked for. So, so the Lord said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, or have asked for your death of your enemies, but for discernment in, in administrating justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart. Wise, discerning. So that there's never been anyone like you, nor will there ever be, past and present. Moreover, I'll give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime there will be no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I'll give you a long life. And Solomon woke. He realized he had been dreaming. Look at what the Lord has promised he would give to Solomon. Wise, discerning heart, wealth, honor—no king whatsoever is equal to him. So that the the things that are really important in there is Solomon acknowledging God's that God was with his uh, father, but also the Lord saying to him, "Follow me, stay with me." There'll be other options for you, but stay with me. What a start for this man! What a start! As his father was, he started in the right direction. The next verse I want to make a mention of is in First Kings, the fourth chapter, verses 29 and 30. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than the wisdom of, of uh, Egypt. All the results of what the Lord had promised to him was taking place. A next point of information is first kings four thirty two to thirty four He spoke three thousand proverbs and his songs numbered a thousand and five. I was kind of thinking about that. The fact that it 's mentioned it 's a thousand and five, not maybe a thousand means that he memorized a thousand and five songs. I really wanted to ask Adrian. You know, how many have you been able to memorize? I bet there's been a bunch. No? Oh, okay. He spoke about plant life, the king's garden. You folks that that take part in that, you'd you'd want to hear what he has to say about that, I think. Uh, From the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all the nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. A lot of people came to see him, is what the scriptures identify. A lot of people. But the most famous one was probably the the Queen of Sheba. Now, understand, because it doesn't say it in the scriptures, she probably traveled about 1,500 miles to go see Solomon. I mean, that's like by caravan, remember, from Chicago to Boise? Or maybe even a little bit longer than that. It took several months for that to happen. She was there in his presence. And she records in Second Chronicles, the 9th chapter, 5 and 6. Here's what she says after she visits with him for a period of time. She said to the king, I report the reports I hear in my own country about your achievements. 1,500 miles away. And your wisdom is true. But I did not believe... What they said until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half the greatness of your wisdom was told me. You have far exceeded the reports that I heard. Just get a feel of this man and what the Lord has instilled within him. That's what this scripture is wanting us to see. The last scripture that introduces us to our king, King Solomon. Second Corinthians Chronicles, the ninth chapter, verses twenty-two to twenty-four, sums it up. King Solomon was greater in riches and wealth than all the other kings of the earth. All the kings of the earth sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year after year, everyone who came brought gifts: silver, gold, robes, weapons, spices. Horses, mules. Solomon was clearly the strongest, the, the greatest, the wisest man who ever lived. God had given him unsurpassing wisdom. Huge reputation. I guess we would say he was the alpha dog when it came to kings. Nobody dared to disagree with him. He had lots of money, lots of power. Everything he did that he set out to do, he accomplished Go figure that one. For example, in year four, he started to build the temple. David had wanted to, but the Lord had said no. So he started to build the temple. And by year 15, the temple was complete. And then at that same time, he started to build his palace. And by year 20, the temple and the palace were complete. Solomon Solomon had achieved everything that he had sought to do so 20 of year of the 40 years that he served as the king and and I think it's wise to say that probably this was a transition period because this is the time in which our lord comes back to him and knocks on his door again first kings the ninth chapter a couple of verses there says When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had achieved all that he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built. By putting my name there forever, my eyes and my heart will always be there. Verses four and five tell us that Solomon uh, listened to the Lord and the Lord said to him again, follow me. Do as your father did and follow me. You know, when you consider all of these verses together as an as an introduction to this man, it, it's really hard for me to fully understand the book of Ecclesiastes, especially this first chapter because of, because of who he was. Now, the, the theory is, the thought is that this is towards the end of his life, towards the end of the 40 years that he served as, as king. Now, let's go back into Ecclesiastes and let's look at a couple highlights or lowlights in the reading of this first chapter. The first verse of Ecclesiastes, if you want to know where it's at, it's right after Proverbs and just before Song of Solomon. And that's kind of because this is all written by Solomon. So find that in your Bible. But the second verse here of this first chapter hits the nail right, hits the hammer on the nail. Now the New International Version says, utterly meaningless. This is the purpose of this book that we're going to be studying. For the next couple of weeks. Utterly meaningless. The King James Version says vanity of vanities. I love the message version. It says smoke. Nothing but smoke. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. Remember this is Solomon that's writing this. It's an amazing proposition that he's presenting here. Um, when, when, you, when you put a, a, a plural genitive that follows a singular genitive in a, cons, in a construct noun, what it basically uh, what I'm trying to say is when you put these two words together, one's a singular and one's a plural, it means basically that the singular is the most or the worst or the least of that group. For example, Lord of Lords. The Lord is the Lord of Lords. So that when it says here, Vanity of Vanities, it means bottom of the line. There's nothing whatsoever, Solomon saying to us, that has any meaning for us whatsoever in this life. And th- this word occurs thirty-five times in this book and only one other time in the whole Bible. Solomon is saying here in verse 2, get it, all life is meaningless. All of life is useless, is hollow, is futile, is is vain. There's nothing there. Is this the same Solomon that we just read about? Yeah, it is. And he goes on. He doesn't stop there. In verse 3, he says, what do people gain for all their labor for, at, the, at which they toil under the sun? It's a rhetorical question. Everybody knows the answer. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. I mean, we long to make a difference. We long to leave something permanent, to leave a legacy. Solomon's saying to us, don't even think it. And then in verses 4 through 7, he illustrates what he's just been teaching. He illustrates it. Um, He he illustrates it by using constant motion with no ending whatsoever. No completion to the constant motion. Generations come, generations go. The earth remains. That's the only thing. The sun goes up, oh guess what? The sun goes down. Constant motion. The wind blows south and it blows north. And it comes back and blows round and round and round again. Streams go to the ocean. But the ocean is never filled. Because it turns into clouds. Which become rain. Which become streams. Which go into the ocean. Are you feeling depressed yet? I am a little bit. Well it gets to the point here. That verse 8 is like Solomon has to take a breath of fresh air and say, oh my word, am I feeling wearisome. He says that all things are wearisome more than one can say. All things are so wearisome. It's tiresome. I'm feeling a little depressed, a lot depressed here. The eyes never stop seeing all these futile efforts of people. Last part of verse 8, the ear never stops hearing about all the examples of continuous activity that's just meaningless. Verse 9 continues this whole theme what has been done will be done again. It's an imperfect tense, it means it's something that started and it keeps on going and keeps on going and keeps on going. Whatever's happened in the past will keep on going and going. It never stops. It never stops. But then verse 10 goes, is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? Uh, it was here before. What he's saying is basically that's past perfect. I Means something happened in the past, it was done and it stopped. That's it. So that anything now, nothing's new because it's all been done in the past. Verse 10. Verse 11 goes on. No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Whew. Uh, maybe you've heard uh, of the name Tony Campolo. I've listened to him. I, I was in a privilege of sitting under his feet uh, for a couple talks. I remember him saying something that relates right to this. He He said... If you ever start to feel proud just remember that soon after your body has been lowered in the grave your family and friends will be eating potato salad and telling jokes and you'll be history. (laughs) On Sunday mornings I love pickles. Mr. and Mrs. I, I, I didn't realize that that was their last name. Earl and Opal Pickles. They have some theological things to say to us from time to time. So, Earl and Opal. Opal says to Earl, why don't you get rid of that ratty old sweater? Earl says, sorry, I can't do that. Opal says, why not? Earl says, when my grandpa died, my grandma wore this shabby old sweater and for the rest of her life, she wore it to remember him by. I always figured that you'd want to wear this when I'm gone to remember me. Opal responds, Thanks, but I'll just remember remember you by the permanent indentation your behind has left in the sofa. (laughs) I guess it's another example of generations come, generations go. Dust in the wind, that's what it's saying. He's... Setting forth the theme that all of humanity is striving and it's all futility. Now he moves to a first person tense here in verse 12. He identifies to us that he he did a study over a period of time. And and the, the results of that study are now here in these verses. He's talking about the study that he did between birth and death. He says in verse 13, I applied myself to study, meaning I devoted myself. I gave everything to it. He gave his all to seek and search out, to find any meaning that he could whatsoever under the sun. And he says, What a heavy burden God has laid on man in verse 13. The God there, understand, is the Elohim God. He's up there man's down here and there ain't a lot of communication between the two it's the Elohim God that he's talking about he's there but I don't have any relationship with him whatsoever except that what he put together here and I'm not very happy about that Solomon don't you remember the two times that the Yahweh God has come and talked to you for some reason that's not a part of this at this point He's only thinking of the, the other God, the Elohim God. And so in verse 14, he continues this, if you can still stand it with me. I have seen all the things that have been done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Here's the conclusion to his study. Everything is a chasing after the wind. Everything that man does is powerless. And in verse 15, he makes it very clear. What all of us are understanding from this is we're powerless. Man is powerless because what is crooked cannot be straightened. There's no way to take what's crooked and and make it into straight. Even the best minds, including Solomon, cannot come up with a solution that will be a result of making things permanent in the good side on account of human sin, he's not saying that, but it's clear, much of what we see around us has been defective. And then in verse 16, he starts to put a conclusion to this first chapter. He says, I thought to myself, when he means, I spoke with my heart, this is, the, this is my heart speaking to you, listen. And verse 18 sums it up and it says, for with much wisdom come much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. The more you know, the more you become aware of the weakness of human nature. <clears throat> the more one knows of man's life, the deeper the insight one obtains into their actions and their circumstances. The greater is, this, is the cause of grief at the unsatisfactory nature of all human affairs. He placed all of this into his study and that's what he came back with. What happened here? What happened to Solomon? I mean, we don't know very much of him between year 20 to year 40. But I really want to know what, what's going on here, because this has an implication for the weeks that we're going to be studying this book. Well, we have one insight, a couple of them, I think, into uh, Solomon and what happened here. First King's the 11th chapter, the verses one through four. give us some insight into what happened. King Solomon however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after your gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Ready? (laughs) 700 wives of royal birth. That means they were related to that king of those nations in some way. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. Now, I'm not about to tell any jokes related to 700 wives. But you think about it. If there's 700 weddings, there had to be 700 marriages. And you know, a marriage takes a full day. So of his 40 years... I would guess around 5% of his time it was spent getting ready for and being married to somebody. Okay. His commitment had started so strong, but his weakness got in the way. And what we're reading here is a weakness that was a part of him that he was not able to bring before the Lord and let the Lord deal with it. There was a weakness there. You know, here's the reality of the situation. We all have weaknesses. We all have weaknesses that we have to bring before the Lord. Um, Men and women, research is showing, uh, who struggle deeply with pornography, that number is increasing. Even in the church, Uh, it's so wonderful that our, our men's group has a program called Conquer Series, Battle Plan for Purity. We men have to recognize weaknesses that are in a part of us. I'm, I'm part of that. I have to recognize that. And every day make sure that I turn that over to the Lord. I play golf poorly at times. I did discover that uh, recently. That it takes practice to get any better when it comes to golf. An employee gave me a sign once. Christmas present. I play golf, therefore, I swear. I really haven't had that difficulty, but honestly, I can really get tough on myself. I I was embarrassed at myself last year, playing with someone. And the person turned, and, and I was tough on myself, the person turned to me and said, Art, it's a game. Oh, boy, did he make sense to me. It's a a game. One of my weaknesses is that being way too hard on myself than what's appropriate and necessary. What weaknesses do you all have? Do we have? Oh, I got to tell you. So one of the persons in the church, I'm not going to name him, Knows because I've shared with him my weakness, he's come up with a plan for me. My encouragement for all of you men who play golf. Number one through ten. If it's an okay but not really great shot, it's a one. And if it's really bad, like out of bounds, it's a ten. So I've discovered that it really works for me. He said, since you've become an elder, you really need to do this. Okay. If it's really something that wasn't good, just yell out seven. I've tried this. And after I yell out seven a couple times, I start to laugh. It's a great way to do it. I encourage uh, you guys. I was trying to teach my grandson at family camp that he's just learning the game and I'm trying to help him. Okay, that was a seven. That was a six. That was an eight. It's, it's a way of being able to bring to the Lord the weaknesses that I have inside of me that I have to deal with, that the Lord has to deal with. I want him to deal with it. Our king didn't do that. And that's why the scripture makes it clear that as the years went by, he lost that opportunity And I guess I want to say to you and me, finish strong. The older we get, it seems like weaknesses can really get in the way. Here's another point that I want to give us. Remember the commercial where a lady goes and gets a a hamburger? And before she sits down, she opens up the bun, and she looks inside and she says, Where's the beef? Remember that? I think that Solomon is saying something like that. One bun is life and one is death. And what's in the middle? Where's the beef? Where's the purpose to life? Where's everything going? What's happening in our life? What's happening? What's the cycle of futility? I mean, there's tons of examples in our society where we see uh, people asking that question: Where's the beef? Where's the beef? Remember, City Slicker Billy Crystal to the junior—no, it was to the kindergarten class. He says, "Value your time, kids, because this is the time in your life when you'll still have choices. It goes by fast. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything and you do it. You're 20 as a blur. Your 30s, you raise your family, you make a little money." You think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? 40s, you grow a little pot belly. You grow another chin. The music gets too loud. 50s, you have a minor surgery. They call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. 60s, 60s, you have a major surgery. The music is still loud, but it doesn't matter because you can't hear it anyway. (laughs) Seven days, you and your wife retire to Fort Lauderdale. You start eating dinner at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You have lunch at 10 you spend most of your time wandering down the mall looking for uh, the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? How come the kids don't call? The 80s, you have a major stroke and you end up babbling about with some Jamaican nurse who your wife can't stand but who, who, who you call mama. Any questions? <laughs> Dust in the wind. That's what he's saying. Life is that way. But let me tell you, It's not. There is purpose to life. There's purpose to meaning. I, I want to close this by making a contrast between what we hear in our society and what we just sang today. Kansas, the, the, this, the group that sings uh, Dust in the Wind. I close my eyes only for a moment then the moment's gone. All my dreams pass before my eyes. A curiosity. Here's what we sang. Though life is but a fleeting breath, a sign too brief to measure. Then Kansas follows that up with says, Dust to the wind. All we are is dust to the wind. We sang this My king has crushed the cause of death, and I am his forever. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah. My delight and my reward, everlasting, never failing. My Redeemer, my God. See the difference? A life without purpose, a life with purpose. One more. We're just a drop of water in the endless sea. All we do just crumbles to the ground. Here's what we sang. I will sing a new song to the Lord. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Every heart proclaim the mercies of your name on earth as it is in heaven. For the kingdom is yours and the power is yours and the glory forever and ever. Ecclesiastics is probably the best news for modern, modern man. It's a book of people who want to live again. That's what we're going to be studying. Without the Lord, what meaning is there with the Lord? we find ourselves in line with how he wants us. Pray with me. Father, bring your world to come to know you. They're missing out on so much of the love that you have for them. Thank you for these verses because they really speak to us about life with and without you. In your name we pray. Amen.